God, we thank you so much. Thanks for an amazing time of worship, God. Thanks for time just to draw near to you. Lord, and I just recognize, man, we are, we are all over the place probably coming in today. I, there's, we're busy and distracted. There's stuff going on. Some of us are carrying heavy loads. Um, some of us, things are going great <laughs> and uh, probably anywhere in between. But God, I pray that in these next moments, would you just quiet our hearts and quiet our souls and just turn our eyes towards you, Jesus. Help us to hear you and what you have to say to us today. We need you. We love you. We just open up our hearts to you and just pray, come, come and have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, in 1972, Stanford University conducted a bunch of, a kind of whole series, a bunch of research on delayed gratification. It's become, uh, it was by a, a psychologist by the name of Walter Michel or something like that. But it, it, it's become sort of um, widely known and has been, uh, the research has been uh, extensive and kind of the, the number of studies based off of that since, since that day, have, there's been dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of these studies based on this research. It's become known as the marshmallow experiment. How many people have ever heard of the marshmallow experiment? Okay, so it's, it's a fascinating study in which uh, researchers would bring a kid into a room. Uh, there would be a, a, uh, a table there with a plate on it and like either a marshmallow, a cookie, uh, so, some sort of a sweet there. They would put the kid in the chair right in front of it. They'd scooch it, you know, scooch it up right to the table so the kid's you know, sitting there staring at this marshmallow, this cookie or whatever, and they would explain to them uh, this, this whole idea of delayed gratification said here's the deal you can either have one marshmallow or one cookie now or if you wait i'm going to leave the room for a few minutes and if you can wait until i come back i'll give you two cookies or two marshmallows or that kind of thing okay well i mean you can imagine i I got a few pictures here of some of these studies and i've got a video that i'll share in a second but like you can imagine what this is like this is like five and six and seven year old kids that they're doing this study with and so these kids are sitting there they're like salivating some of them are smelling them some of them are taking their tongue and just touching it like i didn't eat it but i'm just kind of tasting it like they're salivating and they anyway they went through this research and uh it's it's a pretty crazy kind of thing um actually you want to go ahead and pull up the uh, the video the, the video footage they actually, this is some from the, some of the earlier that's yeah that's the uh, another picture here but they've actually got some early video footage from some of the earliest uh kind of examples and i just want you it's terrible quality because it was done in like the 70s or something but i want you to kind of look at how these kids are reacting How's the self-control going? Oh, denied. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, I'm not even trying, right? That kind of thing. They kind of, so you can kind of see this. I'll just kind of let this play as you go. What, what they found is that actually uh, two-thirds of the kids couldn't make it, right? They, they just are like, the temptation is too strong. I like marshmallows too much. Uh, it's just impossible for me. The, only one-third of the kids that uh, had this experiment done on them were successful. But the, the particularly interesting parts uh, from a, a research standpoint isn't just this, although they've recreated this probably hundreds of times since then and, and had similar sort of results. But the interesting thing is they were able to track the group of kids, that, that one-third of the kids that lasted, that were able to delay gratification and wait and get the two marshmallows. They tracked them now over the next 40 years of their lives. And the research and the data on that is fascinating. So what they found is that those that were able to delay gratification, by the way, are you seeing the girl that's sniffing it yet? Have you? <laughs> that's my favorite. She, they'll, they'll end on her actually. Look at that. She's smelling it. 
she ended up eating just a little bit all the way around and then put it back to see if that would be close enough <laughs> so she could get two. Anyway, it's a killer. But anyway, <laughs> she's got it on her nose now. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Dude, that's some good stuff. <laughs> future addict right there, I think. I don't know what that is. <laughs> okay, anyway, I think this is about it. Yeah, that's about it. So, cute footage. I mean, some unbelievable kind of stuff. But what they found is over the next 40 years, those that were able to delay gratification at that early of an age had did by far, did way better in school. They had much higher SAT, college entrance exam tests. Uh, they had, uh, they did better in the workplace they had better family life. They had marriages that tended to last. I mean, they followed this, and there's unbelievable amounts of study that they found. They had a lower body mass index, BMI. Uh, I mean, they generally just did better in, uh, at life. It's a fascinating experiment, which reminds me, when you came in today, you were given a cookie, and you were asked to hold on to it. How many people still have their cookies? Okay, you're impressive. How many people ate the cookies? Any, any brave souls? You guys are just an impressive group of individuals. They are all gold stars next to your names. But anyway, you can go ahead and eat those. It was just, it was just for, for that sort of uh, example. But, but uh, I, I think what's interesting is they did a, a recent study. I think it was 2008, maybe 2011, I don't know, something like that. But they did it at the University of Rochester. They followed up, and they said, you know, this is great, but they're like, what? I mean, it's sort of unfair. They're like, is it just that some people have this innate, this innate sense that they can just sort of tough, toughen up and just wait and just sort of power their way through? Or is it something that can be learned, right? That's the question that they found. And so what they did is they took a, a certain group in, in this study. They kept taking these groups into another room, and they would do a little bit of training with the kids on delayed gratification. And it basically focused around two things. The first was that they, they just wanted these kids to get it through their head of like, it's worth it to wait. And so they had some smaller sort of examples where they said, why don't you take it and wait for a second, you know, wait for a little bit. And then they would reward them so that the kids would get would learn, you know, hey, it's worth it to wait because there, there will be more if I wait. It will be better if I wait. And the second thing um, that they were trying to drive home is that you can do it, right? They were, this isn't just something for a few, but they're like, you, you can do it. You can have self-control enough to wait. And so they would do this little five-minute training with them and give a, a little example or something. And then they would run the marshmallow experiment. What do you think? Do you think they'd have a higher level of success or a lower level of success? By far, right? And, and the, the study went on to say, you know, here's, here's the good news. Even if we are impulsive sort of people, which how many of us can be impulsive sometimes? Yeah, those that you didn't raise their hands, I don't believe you, right? All of us can be impulsive sometimes. The good news, they're saying, you know, this is something you can learn. It's a skill. You can get better at this kind of thing. You can grow in your ability to delay gratification. You can grow in your ability to wait Today we are launching a brand new series here at Ignite called Pause. You probably have seen the slides by now. And this series is really about learning to hit the pause button in our lives and wait and sort of leave room for God to work. We're going to talk about, yes, we're going to talk about temptation and sin in this series and, uh, and how to hit the pause button there. I mean, I, 
you know, that is obvious. That is all around us. That's in us. That's something that all of us wrestle with. And yeah, we'll talk about it. One, one example this week, I, I read a, a study. It was done by the, it was published by the Journal of, I think, what is it? Marital and Family Therapy. And they found that uh, 74% of men that they polled said they'd have an affair if they were sure they wouldn't get caught. And so, I, I mean, I hear that and I'm like, oh, like 74 percent. I'm like, really? So like, is dealing with sin a big deal? Yeah, we'll take we'll take some time and we'll talk about temptation and how to hit the pause button so we don't get sucked away. The, the sort of the image that we've used is the apple because that's the stereotypical. So yeah, we'll take some time on that. But some, but it's more than just that, right? It's more than just instant gratification. Yes, that's a challenge for us in our world where we've got cell phones and Amazon and you know you can click and get anything instantly. And so we are con- we're conditioned ourselves hundreds of times a day, probably thousands of times a day on the instant gratification scale. It's a huge deal. We'll talk about it. But this series is about a lot more than just that. Because sometimes it's not even just blatant sin that causes hangups for us. Sometimes it's the really good things in life. Areas where we just maybe get tired or weary of waiting. And so we decide to take matters into our own hands. Or even really good things that we just take too far. I think sometimes we'll see this kind of things in, in single people that feel like Mr. or Mrs. Right is never going to come along. And so they're tempted to sort of take matters into their own hands instead of waiting on God, instead of hitting the pause button and seeking out God's plan for them. They jump from the arms of one man or one woman to the next, to the next, to the next. They don't even know it, but they're doing tremendous damage to their souls and to their hearts and to those uh, in the wake around them. When what they really need more than anything is to just hit the pause button and learn to turn Godward and seek out his best and his plan and his face. Sometimes I think you'll see this kind of thing in things like careers and success where people will do all kinds of things, including taking jobs that are terrible for them and are terrible for their families just so they can get ahead or they can get more money or they can be a success, quote unquote, whatever that means. Or sometimes people will make unbelievably rash decisions. They might even walk out of a job. They'll just quit and walk out with no plans. And, and sometimes those around them just want to say, man, if you would just pause for a second, right? It would make such a difference for your life. Sometimes, I mean, I think oftentimes in our culture, we see this kind of thing financially, don't we? Where we spend and we take out the credit card and we swipe, swipe, right? We, we buy and we buy and we buy and we buy with no thought of the consequence of that. And man, I just, I, what we needed to do more than anything was to introduce a pause in that equation saying, man, do I actually have money for this? Can I actually, can I actually afford it? I mean, think of how much of our lives we have uh, we have been enslaved by credit card debt or different kinds of debt because we didn't pause before we made the purchase. What we're going to see over the next four weeks is that God has a better way in store for us, a better path in life. And it begins with a pause and a turning to him and leaving room and space for God to lead and to guide and to work in our midst. 
today I'm just going to do sort of an introductory message, sort of the big picture, and I want to kind of hit on a couple of things. I want to, I want to hit on uh, basically this idea that learning to pause and turn to God is, is, can be revolutionary in our lives. It will guard us and protect us from all kinds of negative consequences, and it will also lead to all kinds of positives in our lives. And I just want to do kind of a high level look at this from God's word. I'm going to tell a few stories on the front end and I've got a a bunch of scriptures I want us to walk through and then I'm going to tell a few more of my personal stories and and we'll be done for the day. So that's kind of where we're going. But I was thinking this week about, man, how many, how many examples do we have in God's book of times when, when men or women uh, should have hit the pause button, but didn't. And as a result, things went south. And I thought, well, Let's open the Bible up to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and take a look. And I thought, you know what? You don't have to read very far to get there, right? In Genesis, the first few chapters, the first book in the Bible, we read about Adam and Eve, right, that are created and are living in a paradise, literally a paradise that God created for for them. They had everything they needed. They lived in a world. I want you to picture this for a second because they lived in a world that was without sin. This is hard to even imagine for us, but let me, let me flesh that out a little bit. A world without regret, a world without shame, a world where death didn't yet exist. There was no fear of death. There was no fear. Death didn't exist yet. I mean, can you imagine? They could live in the garden with God and with one another forever in this paradise. They would never know things like betrayal, death. They would never know hunger or thirst There was no such thing as injustice because God provided all that they need. God took care of things. Everything was as it should be. There was no threat of disease. Nobody ever cheated on one another or wanted to. All was as it should be. There was only one rule in the garden, only one that God had put before them. I mean, which would be great. And you might think, well, man, what was that about, right? He didn't put any rules on how much you could eat. He didn't put any rules on how much sex you could have. He didn't put rules on all this kind of stuff. He, he didn't. There was only one rule. He said, you know what, Adam and Eve, I've, I've created you in this perfect paradise and you can live here together. You can just enjoy my presence. You can enjoy one another. You can enjoy what I've created for you. The only thing is that there's one rule, right? I just, I don't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you eat it, you will surely die. Well, you flip the page, right? And what happens? The tempter comes along and says, God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. He knows that if you eat this fruit, it'll be great for you. You won't really die. It won't, re- it won't really hurt you in any sort of negative way. And so he takes, he takes the woman over to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he says, take it and eat. And what's she do? She takes it and eats it, right? She's like, okay, right? So she takes it and eats it. She eats it first, and then she hands it to her husband, right? Her, she hands it to Adam, and she says, eat it. And he says, okay, right? I mean, like, kind of thing. I mean, there was no pause. There was no thought of, like, hey, God told us not to do this. There was, there's nothing in the text that indicates there was any sort of pause or struggle or anything. They believed the lie, and they ate the fruit. And what happens as a result? 
Well, yeah, they did die eventually, right? Death enters the world. Sin comes into the world. Now there's all those things that they were protected from in the garden are now the reality of the world that we live in, right? It was all kinds of stuff has come as a result. Death has come. Sin has come. They get booted out of the garden. Pain comes as a result. Toil uh, in work is now a result. Separation from God. It was the biggest catastrophe in human history. I, just, I found myself wondering this week, man, how different would the story have been if when they were tempted and, they, and, and the, the tempter said, man, it would be better for you. It's going to be good. God's holding out. How different would it have been if they would have hit the pause button and they would have turned to God and said, God, I'm struggling. Is this true? <laughs> Is Are you holding out on us? How different the story would have read if they would have paused and turned Godward. It could have changed all of human history. But it didn't, right? Because there was no pause. Well, you fast forward from that just a few chapters to Genesis chapter 15 and 16. You start seeing it again. You start reading the story about a couple by the name of Abraham or Abram and Sarai or Sarah. And... uh, You can see, man, more than anything, they want to have kids. They want to have kids. And they have been waiting and waiting and waiting, and they struggle with infertility. And so, uh, man, every month is just a painful reminder, no kids, no kids, no kids, no kids. And uh, But God kind of busts into the story and says to Abram, he makes a promise and says, you know what, Abram, here's the deal. You're going to be a dad. I'm going to give you kids. In fact, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky, That's how plentiful, that's how many uh, descendants you're going to have. No need to worry. I got this. And so he gets excited. He goes back home. He tells Mrs. Abraham, right? I mean, they're they're talking about this and whatever. It's great. So they're like, they're ready, right? Next month, they're like, boom, let's do this, right? And there's nothing. And then the next month, there's nothing. And then the next year, there's nothing. And they wait and they wait and they wait. And finally, they're like, we have waited long enough. God is not coming through. And so they take matters into their own own hands. And Sarah has this ingenious idea. She says, I know if I am unable to have kids, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you my servant, also a woman. I'm going to give my husband this servant. And they're going to go sleep together and... That way, we'll at least have a kid through her. It'll be great, right? Like, can anybody see a flag at this point saying, you know, that might be a dumb idea. That might not work out the way you're thinking in your head right now. Do you think there was a, a, a moment, do you think there should have been a moment where she hit the pause button and said, this is a dumb idea? No, but she doesn't. She rushes right in that. She takes her servant over to Abraham. And what does he say? In, it's, in fact, in the, in the Hebrew, it's identical to Adam's response. He says, she says, hey, I've got a good idea. Why don't you sleep with my servant? And he says, okay, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty much what happens. I mean, and you're like, you're, you're like, man, is there no pause for him either? Like, would somebody here get a brain, right? I mean, like that kind of thing. And you're like, man, if, if only you'd have done this. So, I mean, and I have to say, I mean, we're joking about this and I'm, I'm getting into it. But, I mean, can we just be honest and say, man, how many times are there for me and for all of us when there are other people around us, other Christ followers, other godly men and women that are looking at us going, man, you need to kind of grow a brain too. <laughs> you need, I mean, other people can see it. I mean, they're just, they're screaming just inside, if not, if not externally. Would you hit the pause button and think about this? Because this is just stupid. 
it's going to blow up in your face. Oh, man, there are times for all of us when that's the case. When we go on in the story, so this whole thing happens. Um, Abraham sleeps with uh, Sarah's uh, maidservant known as Hagar, and she gets pregnant and has a kid. And how do you think that goes uh, for Sarah's relationship with Hagar? You think that's good? You think jealousy might stop in there a little bit? You think stuff starts getting tense between them? Absolutely. And actually, you can even see it. It starts, it starts between Abraham and Sarah, where she's like, this is your fault, she says to the guy, which is, uh, I'll, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> but, but she says, it's your fault, which it kind of is, right? <laughs> Partially is anyway. And, and, then, and then it comes between her and her servant, and, and, and eventually you can see the same sort of hatred, the same sort of jealousy play out when not surprisingly, when God keeps his promise, Sarah gets pregnant and she has a son. And her son's name is Isaac. And Hagar's son's name is Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations. And Isaac is the father of the Jewish people. And I found myself wondering and thinking this week, any tension exist between the Arab Muslim world and the Jewish people? You ever see that play out? How does that play out? Any tension there? Any jealousy? Any hatred? Is there killing every day? Is there killing every single day? If you can trace the roots back, it comes down to this moment with a husband and a wife that refuse to hit the pause button and turn towards God with their grief and with their need and with their longing. They refuse to hit the pause button. And as a result, all kinds of destruction has come into the world. Do you see it? You tracking with me? Okay, it's quiet. Did you, you kind of see the connections I'm making here? It's a huge deal. And you see this kind of thing throughout the pages of God's book. Over and over. I mean, you go to... You go to jump ahead to the book of first Kings and you start seeing, uh, you see this with, with, uh, Israel's first King named Saul. And, uh, he sees an army fill, filled with Philistines, which by the way, if you go back and read the story of David and Goliath, who's Goliath? He's a Philistine, right? And so, I mean, picture big, scary, you know, intimidating sort of army and people. So imagine this army is coming at you. He's the king of Israel. He is terrified. And so he goes and he seeks God. And you read a story. He prays. He seeks God for a minute. And when God doesn't instantly respond, he's like, enough of this. God's not answering. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And so he goes and finds a, uh, a psychic and inquires of her. Instead, it says, boy, how, you know, how's this whole deal kind of work? And if you can fast forward in the story, literally 24 hours, Saul is no longer the king of Israel, and many, many, many people have died. He said, man, how much pain could have been spared if you would have hit the pause button and waited? In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about David and Bathsheba. Right? You kind of remember it's like the quintessential adultery story in the Old Testament, right? Where David goes up uh, on the roof late at night. He sees this woman on an, in an adjacent building that's uh, bathing and says, Man, she looks nice. I want to be with her. And so he goes, he brings her over, he sleeps with her, 
And again, creates all kinds. I mean, you can trace the story of his family and how much destruction and heartache and hardship comes into his life and into his family from that moment when all he should have said is, man, this is another man's wife. (laughs) She is not my wife. Hit the pause button and wait. Man, how much pain and suffering and destruction would be spared in our lives if we would learn to pause and wait and turn Godward. Listen to a few of these verses uh, from, going to start in the Old Testament, work to the New Testament, uh, just about waiting, about pausing. Uh, Psalm 40, 1 through 3 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit and out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Don't go ahead yet. Uh, <laughs> I, I pause. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Whoever said that, you're right on. But uh, I want you to look here at just a second and say, so the, the first three words are what the psalmist did. He said, I waited patiently. And then the next ones talk about the results of what happened because they waited patiently. Call them out to me. What, what does the scripture say happened as a result of him waiting patiently for the Lord? What happens? He lifted me up. What else? He heard his cry. What else? Placed, yeah, placed him on a firm foundation, made his, his path secure and steadfast, his life has stability. What else? Yeah, put a new song. Maybe taught him to pray, taught him to praise, taught him to rejoice over his faithfulness. What else does it say? Even as a result, yeah, his feet are on the rock. Yep. As a result, it says many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Comes, I mean, think of that for a second. You can go to the next one now. I underlined them all in the next one, so I'm cheating. So, <laughs> but yeah, you can, I mean, you can kind of see, you start, you start reading through these scriptures and saying, man, there are good things associated when we learn to wait on the Lord. When we learn to hit the pause button and turn Godward. What happens? He hears our cry. He answers our prayer. He puts our feet on a solid foundation. He rescues us from the pit. He pulls us out. He puts a new song in our mouth. He, and, and even other people will see and know the living God in our midst. Isn't that cool? Let's keep looking. Next one. Uh, Isaiah 30, verses, verse 18, I guess, says this. It says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Listen to this last line. Blessed are all who wait for him. What does that say for those that wait on the Lord? They are blessed, it says. They're blessed by God. The joy-filled presence and power and favor of God will dwell on those, he says, that wait for me. Sound like a good thing? Yeah. Keep going. Isaiah 40 says this, even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What do you see in that one? What does it say? God what? For those who wait on the Lord, God what? Renews their strength, right? He, uh, he gives them strength to soar, to run, or to walk without becoming weary or growing faint. One more uh, in this. This is, comes from 2 Kings 6. I think this is fascinating. It's a little bit of, of uh, an imp- 
implied kind of understanding here, but I want you to just listen to the story with me. Second uh, Kings 6 tells about a time when the uh, a people known as the Arameans are waging war against the people of Israel, against God's people. And God was directing the prophet Elisha to warn the king of Israel about any kinds of traps or plans of the opposing king. And so you kind of read through this, and every time the Aramean king was planning an ambush or he was uh, planning to flank their army or whatever, the prophet would send word to the king of Israel and would warn him so that the, so that the people of God would not be defeated. It's an amazing story. But suddenly, there, this moment comes when the Aramean king figures out how this is working. He's like, I see what's happening here. It's Elisha. And so he sends his army, not against the armies of Israel, but against Elisha, right? The prophet, this, this pastor dude, right? And he says, I, so all the armies converge on him and they surround the place where he's staying. You can imagine. I mean, this is bad news. And, uh, and, and you, I mean, how would you be feeling at that moment? People are there to kill you or to take you. Uh, captive, and uh, they've come for you, and the, the entire army is 360 degrees in a circle all the way around you. How would you be feeling at that point? Pretty secure? Pretty good? A little nervous? <laughs> yeah, that's probably an understatement, right? It would scare the crap out of us, right? We would be terrified. That, that would be the normal response. And I want you to, be, I want you to listen to this. This is uh, the story. 2 Kings 6, 15 through 18 says this. When the servant of the man of God, of Elisha, uh, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, he said, which I think is probably an understatement. <laughs> right? Oh, no, my Lord, he says. What shall we do? He's like, we're in a heap of trouble. This is bad news. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. This is Elisha's response. He says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. And actually, the way I read it is, is I read it like this. Pause. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, open the eyes, open his eyes, open my servant's eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Lord, strike this army with blindness. And so he, he struck them with blindness, as Elijah had asked. And actually, they end up getting led uh, past it before their sight returns. And Elisha is safe and sound. Now, my, my only point in sharing this is I, have to say, I can't explain exactly how it happens. But when we are able to, in life and in temptation and with credit cards and with, uh, you know, anything else we want to introduce into this. When we are able to, in the midst of daily life, when we're able to hit the pause button and stop and turn Godward, I'll tell you what happens. The scales fall from our eyes and we're able to see oftentimes with God's perspective. Our, our whole perspective shifts. Our whole perspective our eyes get open so we can see our world and we can see the situation the way God sees it. And man, it's, it's an amazing kind of thing. I can remember a, a moment in my own life, maybe, uh, I don't know, eight years ago. I don't know, I'm picking random dates, but eight or nine years ago, I was finishing up grad school at the time. And I can remember there was this, this season and this time when uh, we were really hurting financially. Um, grad school, as you may know, is like super expensive. And we had felt on the front end like um, that we didn't want to go in debt. We didn't feel like we should go in debt to do it. And so it was a, it was a uh, quarter by quarter sort of faith gig. And we had this, uh, this 
sense that God was just going to provide for us all the way through. And it's, it was crazy. didn't make sense. I get it. I mean, it didn't really make that much sense to us, but, but we had seen God provide quarter after quarter after quarter, but this is uh, coming up, I think on our second year or something like that. And at, at this point, I'm maybe a month out from the beginning of, of the next quarter. And the deal is you had to have uh, it paid for uh, the last quarter paid for before you could register for the next one. And I still, we still owed like $3,000 or something like that. And it was, it was an insane amount of money and we just didn't have it like it was it was wasn't something like hey let me dip into my savings and you know boom here's three grand we were like i mean we just didn't we didn't have it there was nothing we could do and my instant response i have to say is was not to pause it was not to turn god i thought i got this right and so i'm sending emails out to some of our supporters i'm letting people know i'm kind of i'm doing everything i can possibly do i'm trying to get the gears going myself right like we can take care of this we can raise some money we can do whatever and after three weeks, you want to know how much I'd raised? Zero. <laughs> I was sort of like, oh, crap, we're in big trouble. And so and still, I have to say, so, I mean, we're like a week away at this point. And still, rather than dealing with it, you want to know what my instant, rather than hitting the pause button, turning gallery, you know what my instant reaction was? I avoided it <laughs> for a few more days. I wasn't quite ready to, to deal with God on this thing, and I was afraid, and I was kind of freaking out. And so I worked a little longer. I entertained myself. We watched some extra movies and stuff. I'm trying to, I'm like, I'm, I'm avoiding the thing until finally we're like, I think it's three days out. And I'm like, I, I'm dead. Like, there's nothing I can do. Uh, I've tried everything I can do. And, and it was one of those moments where you just sort of just collapse before God and you just start praying. And uh, I prayed my head off that day. And then I went home and Tina and I, uh, after we put the kids to bed, just really, I mean, literally dropped to our knees and started praying. And we just paused. In fact, we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed everything we could. And then there was just silence. And we just sat there with God for a while. And in the middle of that, I had this unbelievably weird kind of prompting that I was supposed to ask for a very specific amount of money that God would move the hand. And it was $2,000. And I was like, God, I just, I don't know why, but I feel like I should ask for, like, that you'd move somebody right now to write out a check for two grand and send it to us. And uh, it was so weird. I mean, it didn't make sense. It was, it was kind of just, you know, weird. I didn't know what to do with it. Um, but it was one of those things where I felt like my eyes were opened. I mean, even as I prayed it, I had this overwhelming sense of God's peace and his presence. And like, like he had it, like he, he really was working right then. And so I felt really good. We finished praying and I went to bed. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, okay, I mean, he's got it. I think it's like my whole perspective changed on it. There was no longer panic or fear. And uh, I, I got up the next morning, I went to work and at 9am I received a phone call from a guy that we knew, but we didn't know all that well. And he said, it was the weirdest thing. He's like, we had a church meeting last night and uh, I was sitting there in the meeting. And I had this overwhelming sense that we were supposed to write you a check for two grand. And so I ran it by the guys and he He's like, I've got the check. I just need to know where to send it to. It was, and actually, by the end of that day, we had all three thousand, and we signed up. It's, I mean, jaw-dropping kind of stuff, right? I mean, it doesn't make sense. I can't exactly explain, it, but sometimes when we learn to hit the pause button and we turn Godward. Our eyes are open to what he's doing a little bit more. We start seeing him pulling us up out of the pit, putting our feet on solid ground. We see his provision, his care, his love. We, we come to know his power in a very real way. And there's nothing like it. I mean, that's, that's the good stuff, right? I mean, that's, that's where we want to be. He's got good stuff in store for us. 
when we can learn to pause and wait on the Lord. Lewis Smedes puts it this way. He says, waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. It's true. A few more scriptures. Uh, one more from uh, the Psalms that just puts it this way. Psalm 37. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Wait for the Lord and keep to his way and he'll exalt you to inherit the land. 43 times in the Old Testament alone. 43 times we're told to wait on the Lord. Now, I'm an activator. I like to do stuff. This is hard sometimes, right? To hit the pause. But, but this is where we are called to live as Christ followers. It's, it's in hope. It's waiting on the Lord for stuff that we can't accomplish, we can't do on our own. Even in the New Testament, we see this Acts, the first chapter, verses 4 through 5, this is Jesus talking, right? And it says, he says this, do not leave Jerusalem, Jesus says, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the disciples are asked to wait, even after the resurrection. They're asked to wait until the Spirit comes on them. And then even when that happens, is that done? Is the waiting over? No. Romans, uh, Paul paints a description of what our lives are like as we wait. He says this, we who are, uh, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. He's saying we're children who have been filled with the Spirit. He says, we ourselves groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who uh, hopes for what is already seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. He says, we wait, we wait on the Lord for the day that he comes back. We wait on the Lord for the days that our lives are completely transformed and we become like him. We wait for the day when we get to be in his presence forever. We wait for the day that the garden of Eden is restored and we get to live with him forever. Even if you go to the very end of the book, all the way through to Revelations, we started in Genesis, we're ending in Revelations. Second to the last verse in uh, the book of Revelations, Galatians says this, it, John closes by saying, this is the one who testifies, he's talking about Jesus, right? This is the one who testifies to these things. And he says, behold, I am coming soon. And he says, uh, and he kind of goes on and, and he says, uh, he ends by saying, amen, come Lord Jesus. He, what he's saying is, amen, bring that about. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back. I'm going to take you. I'm going to rescue you from this world. I'm going to take you home to be with me forever to those who are his followers. And, and, and John's response is, amen, so be it. Let that be true. We're waiting for you, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. From beginning to end, there's this picture of waiting on God, of pausing and looking Godward and hoping and waiting and longing for him to work and for him to return. Let me just do some application and we'll wrap it up for the day. What I'm wondering and what I'm asking throughout this series, and even as we're starting this week, and this is general kinds of stuff, but I'm wondering would you start putting this stuff into practice? Would you learn in your days when fear creeps up, when anxiety starts getting a hold of you? Would you start? pausing and even just in your spirit if it depends where you are maybe you can spend some some time in prayer at that point maybe it's you're at work and you can't really but would you even just for a moment would you hit the pause button 
would you turn Godward? Would you cry out to him and just create some space for God to make his presence known? Create some space for God to work, for God's peace and presence to fall on you. There is nothing like it. Would you learn to turn Godward, to pause and cry out and wait, for, wait on God, wait for his best for you? Let me give you some examples. It could be that you're here this morning and you feel like there's a longing in your heart for intimacy, for relationships, for an arm to be around you. Maybe you feel the kind of loneliness that really only God can heal, that really only God can bring about. But regardless, you're tempted to jump into yet another relationship, into another set of arms to try and find what it is that your soul craves. Maybe there's somebody else and you know in your heart that they are not the right person for you. Maybe this person doesn't share your ultimate commitment to Christ. Maybe this person is putting pressure on you or whatever and you just, for whatever reason, you just know it's not right. But because of the pain and the loneliness, you're tempted to think, I've waited long enough. It's time for me to take matters into my own hands. And so I'm just going to do it. I, I would rather get the satisfaction that I can from being with this other person and worry about the consequences later. If, that's, if that resonates with you, if there's something like that going on, I'm just, I'm just saying, as we go through the series, would you learn to pause? And would you wait on the Lord on this deal? Would you courageously say, okay, okay, God, all right. I will take you at your word. I will pause and turn towards you. I will not get hooked up with a relationship that I know would dishonor you or bring damage to my own soul or to those involved. Instead, I'm going to seek you and I'm going to wait for your best for my life. Even when it's hard, even if it feels lonely, I'm going to pause and turn towards you. I will trust you. I will wait. Would you do that? Or maybe you have a dream about certain things that you'd like to accomplish, a mark you'd like to make, how, things, how you'd like things at work to go or whatever. And for reasons that you don't fully understand, what you always hoped for is not coming true. It's not being fulfilled in your life. And you don't know why. You just know that it hurts. And you're tempted to try and force things to happen, to sort of push this thing forward, maybe manipulate or scheme or use people or whatever. Or maybe, on the other hand, you're tempted to just give up without ever trying to realize the potential that God has given you. You just decide to drift. And I'm asking you, as we go through this series, do you have the patience to neither try to force it on the one hand or just quit, but to wait patiently on God? Would you be willing and able to pause in those moments and turn Godward? Continue to learn about who you are, what the plans he has for you, how you're wired up. Humbly and openly get some feedback and coaching from other God, godly counsel from other people. And submit your plans to him. Maybe you desire change in some real significant area of your life, but it just hasn't come so far. And it may not come tomorrow or the next day. It could be a difficult marriage that you're in and you're... You feel like bailing emotionally, if not physically. And God is saying to you, would you pause? Would you be patient? Would you wait on me? Would you focus on the love that I have for you and the love that you can give to your spouse, not just on what you can get out of it? Maybe God is asking in this moment, will you let me love you? Will you trust me? Will you hang in there? Will you wait for me? 
Okay, one more story. I'm sorry, I'm going a little long. But one more story. There's a story I shared last Christmas, I believe. It's by Henry Nowen. It's a book called The Sabbatical Journeys. And he talks about the special relationship that exists uh, between trapeze artists. Uh, There's one person that's a trapeze artist that is um, that is the one, what do they call it, the catcher? Let me get this right. And there's one that's the flyer. The flyer is the one that flies through the air. The catcher is the one that's on the other bar waiting and catches them out of the air. And he talks about how significant that relationship is. You can imagine. You're literally putting your life in their hands. And he says sometimes when people are learning, uh, they freak out. And the flyer tries to catch the catcher. And he says, that is so dangerous. That's how people die. He was like, but here's the thing. The, 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 the role and the job of the flyer is to let go of the bar, fly through the air, and wait in absolute trust for the strong arms of the catcher to grab on, to catch, and to hold them. Love the image. And I just wonder if today, if that's not what God's saying to you, you know what? It's time to let go, to trust me, to wait on the strong arms of the catcher to catch you, to wrap his arms around you, and to lead you in the life that he has for you. Let's close in prayer. God, this whole business of um, waiting and pausing and all this kind of stuff, it's hard, it's different, it's countercultural. I pray that throughout this series and even this week, God, that you would teach us in moments of anxiety or fear, in moments when, when we just feel like doing what we want to do, in moments, I don't know, where impulse is just sort of taken over, where we want the marshmallow. God, would you teach us to pause? Would you teach us to to turn our eyes and our souls, Godward, and just cry out to you? And God, would you show up in power as we wait on you? God, would you show your presence and your power as we wait on you? Would you open our eyes to see your reality and what's actually true? Would you rescue us from the miry pit? Would you put our feet on solid ground? Would you pour out blessing and favor in your presence? And may many, many, many people praise you and bring honor to you as we see you work in our lives. We pray, God, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in us as it is in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.